Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fifth episode of Stars Oratoria, your premier Star Citizen podcast. My name is Senate Van Ryn, and I'm currently broadcasting to you live from the planet. What was that? Why are you bleeping me? Ladies and gentlemen, I may have had one too many hydrofrozes, which may have resulted in my being a bit more cavalier about our locational details, but my producer bleeping my words out? Well, that's rude. For those of you who haven't been keeping up, or who are jumping in without listening to any prior recorded shows, this broadcast is sent out against the wishes of certain people within certain governments. Names shall not be named, specifics shall not be specified, at least not yet, but in broadcasting to you, I am currently operating outside the boundaries of the law. So yes, a low profile is a bit of a necessity, but general hints about our whereabouts are necessary for those who wish to chime in over the comm channels. What about the system? I can give them that much, right? You can't see, but my not-so-lovely Sean producer is currently shrugging her little Sean shoulders. Okay, I'll keep it clandestine. I am currently broadcasting to you live from the planet... <clears throat> located snugly in the system. Don't they censor us enough? Now you turn on me? Okay, so maybe I'm feeling brazen. Puffing out my chest a little bit to show those who would persecute us for daring to speak out against the system that we're not afraid of them. So I turn to a bottle of Hydrofroz in a moment of weakness, or two bottles, and maybe I've never had a Hydrofroz before. Maybe I thought it was an energy drink. This is all irrelevant. What is relevant is, we're on the planet Cassell in the Goss system. Ha! Okay, now in hindsight, maybe that wasn't the best idea. Well, listeners, this show may be a bit shorter than usual, as we are probably going to have to vacate the premises very soon. But what about this show? Enough about us. Enough about Hydrofroz. You may have noticed that each episode thus far has had a central topic the show has revolved around, peripherals, audio direction, and so on. As the frequency of this show ramps up, and the development of the game is still in the early stages, it's going to be more and more difficult to discuss at length and in depth a singular subject each time. So henceforth, each show will revolve around general game mechanics. Whatever is relevant or valid at the time, we'll discuss. So what's relevant today? Well, alongside our usual segments, including the opening of the comm channels, we will be discussing permadeath, game ratings, and whatever else pops into my hydrofrozy head. For now, we'll take a quick break and return with the latest news and updates from Chris Roberts and the team at Cloud Imperium Games Corporation. Stick around. Welcome back, and you'll be interested to know that over the musical break, my producer held me down, the Sean are strong, and forced me to pop a couple of neutralizing pills. So while I have a bit of a headache, my thoughts are clear. The effects should hopefully last until the end of the show, before the hydrofrost kicks back in, 
and the authorities kick in our door, but I can't make any promises. Regardless, due to some irresponsibility on my part, we may end up having to cut the show a little short, as I'm sure they are bearing down on our location as we speak. Apologies in that regard. So let's get to business. Normally, we'd tackle the news right about now, but since there hasn't been much in the way of earth-shattering news released since our last episode, and since we don't have much time, we're going to cover a couple of major topics, and then I'm going to open the comm channels. For now, I'd like to jump straight to our Ship a Show segment, and follow that up with our new segment we'll be introducing called Show a System. Show a System comes to you courtesy user Joe Washell, excuse my pronunciation, on the Star Citizen subreddit who demanded in response to last episode to, quote, show us some of the star systems next time. So that's what we're going to do. And as much as an audio podcast can show you something, we're going to show you some star systems. One star system per show, and seeing as how there are going to be 100 star systems on launch, there shouldn't be any risk of running out unless CIG doesn't release any more info on them outside of the 13 that were released during the campaign. But we're going to go through those 13... And that should take some time. But first up, the ship of the show. So far we've covered the 300i, the Constellation, and the Freelancer. This episode, we're going to go for one that's a bit simpler and more straightforward and is also one that we haven't quite gotten a good look at. This is likely the ship that the majority of players will have lifetime insurance for, and it is the Aurora from Roberts Space Industries. Straight from the ship's development document, the Aurora is, quote, the modern-day descendant of the Roberts Space Industries X-7 spacecraft, which tested the very first jump engines. Utilitarian to a T, the Aurora is the perfect beginner ship. What it lacks in style, it makes up for in ample room for upgrade modules. Most pilots move up from an Aurora as quickly as their credit accounts allow, but a select few regard flying this venerable spacecraft as a badge of honor, end quote. The Aurora has a max crew of one, a mass of 15,000 kilograms, with a focus on exploration and light mercantile uses. It has an upgrade capacity of four, a cargo capacity of five tons, one engine modifier, a fission maximum class, one times TR3 thrusters, eight times TR1, with three total hardpoints including two class ones and one class three. And that's the Aurora. As I said, we have not received much visual intel regarding the Aurora, so what's in the ship's development document is thus far all we know. I do believe they are currently working on the design of the ship, so expect to see it fairly soon. And expect to see it fairly often when we actually play the game, as most pilots should be flying it. But now we move on to the first of a new long-running segment called Show a System. And the first system to have the honor is the Krell system. The Krell system is a mysterious system. Straight from the comlink, quote, Humans have yet to officially set foot in the Krell system. Located on the opposite side of Shan territory, Krell is home and namesake of a traveling species that the UEE has had no formal interaction with. The Shan, however, have had a tempestuous relationship with them for the last 700 years, ultimately culminating in a devastating century-long conflict loosely translated as the Spirit Wars. Advice for travelers seeking to visit the Krell is few and far between. It is entirely unknown what goods they might be interested in trading, 
what they produce natively or what they would even consider black market items. It's also unknown exactly how to reach them, or just what reaction the Sean Star patrols would have to a human traversing their territory for the purpose of doing business with their ancient enemies. End quote. Now, as my dearest and oldest friend happens to be Sean, I'm sure we can offer some insight, can't we? No, we can't. She's shaking her head. The Krell indeed remain a sensitive, private subject. Truly a mystery. The Krell system houses nine planets, including Krell 4. It has a UEE strategic value of black, with unknown imports, exports, crime status, and black market. And that is the Krell system. And that is our first segment of Show System. Before we open up the comm channels, there are two topics I wanted to broach today, both of which have been discussed to death on the official forum, although what hasn't? But the first one is permadeath. What is it? Why am I talking about it? And should it be implemented into Star Citizen or should it not? Permadeath, at its most basic, is when you create a character in a game, develop that character, progress with that character, and when that character dies, you lose all development and have to create a new character. In the majority of games, you will not find permadeath. You will be able to respawn, maybe losing a few items, perhaps being set back a ways in your progress, but for all intents and purposes, it will be a minor inconvenience. With permadeath, you start over. The disadvantages to permadeath are obvious, though we may touch on them, but what are the advantages to permadeath? Well, the biggest advantage, in my opinion, is that it raises the stakes. The more consequences there are for messing up and dying, the more careful you're going to have to be. The more worried you are about dying, the more intense the experience when death is on the line. Now, there are a couple of games I've played within the last few years that I'm going to insert into the conversation. These two games have the distinction of providing me with the most tense PvP experiences I've had. The first is EVE Online. I've talked about EVE before, and while it does a lot of things I don't like, it excels at high-stakes, butt-clenching PvP. But Senate, you say, EVE Online doesn't have permadeath. Well, no, it doesn't. Although I guess it could, depending on whether you've been updating your clone to reflect your skill point accumulation, but assuming you've been doing everything right, and there is no permadeath, why is EVE so high stakes? Well, because, at least until you're making billions of dollars an hour like some madman, when you lose a ship, it is expensive to replace it. How do you get the money to replace it? By putting your time into the game. So when your ship blows up, you are potentially being set back quite a bit. Time is money. There's a reason why the phrase, don't fly what you can't afford to lose, is so commonly repeated to new players. Because they commonly fly what they can't afford to lose. And when they do fly those ships and lose them, they're stuck working their way back up again. And it's painful, obnoxiously painful sometimes. But the effect it has on PvP is monumental. I'll never forget the first time I had my brand new, super expensive ship targeted by another player. My heart was racing, my palms were sweating, and when it was blown up, I was extremely annoyed. And it was a beautiful thing. But that's only one of the two games I mentioned. The other, which may not come as a surprise to many of you, is DayZ. And DayZ has proper permadeath. When you die, you have to start over. 
What is DayZ? Essentially, it's a mod for the military sim Arma 2, wherein you're dropped into a post-apocalyptic Russian wilderness with scattered towns and you have to survive. But there are zombies. Very buggy zombies still, but they can be creepy when you're new. The best and worst part is that there are other survivors just like you who are quite obviously trying to survive. But will they try to kill you or will they try to help you? You never know. And half of the fun is finding out, or killing them before you do. Now, you can spend days surviving in Daisy, collect all of the best gear, including a GPS, military grade rifles, enough food and water to last you for weeks, but one stray bullet and you're starting all over. Trust the wrong person, turn your back, and you're starting all over, etc., etc. Why would this be a good thing? Well, because ideally, it makes you act like, at least for me and those who can't help but to semi-roleplay, a real human being, not a video game character. When I'm dropped into Chernarus, it's me there. How would I interact with these people? If I'm just a video game character, I'll go in guns blazing. Since I'm really there, and the stakes are almost as high as they would be in real life, I'm more cautious, I'm more careful, and in turn, as far as others observing me are concerned, I have the appearance and behavior of someone realistic all of which serves only the immersion. Also, in real life, I wouldn't just run around with guns like I'm playing a deathmatch tournament. I wouldn't shoot unless it was in self-defense or to defend my companions, and so on. How is this relevant to Star Citizen? Why am I even going on about any of this? Well, in a recent interview conducted by the Coalition of Christian Gamers, Chris Roberts answered the question, what will happen when your character dies? In summation, his answer was, it depends on how and where you die. Most of the time when your ship gets blown up in a dogfight, your escape pod will eject, you can get tractored in and taken to the closest friendly planet, where you'll have to visit a med bay and get repaired. Think Luke Skywalker in the Bokter tank in The Empire Strikes Back. The more you do this, the more your body degrades, and at some point, you won't be able to revive anymore. At this time, you'll die and your next of kin will take over the family line and possessions. Some of the contention people have with this is that your character can eventually die permanently. This is, of course, a huge problem for role players, because ultimately, in a game where you're playing a role and trying to build that character's history, you don't want that character dying off while his or her story is still in progress. What's my opinion on this, since I'm sure you care? I love permadeath, and I hate permadeath. Does permadeath fit Star Citizen? I'm not inclined to think it does. Star Citizen is set almost a thousand years in the future. I want to believe that medical advances by then will be able to prevent death one rudimentary way or another. I can't stress enough how much I love the idea of the Bakta tanks. I made a post on the official forum that I'm going to source from, as what I said there is relevant here. In an earlier episode, I mentioned how the Grand Theft Auto games have a great mechanic where your character quote-unquote dies, and the screen fades to black, and when it fades back in, you're walking away from the hospital having lost a couple thousand dollars. I think a similar thing can work even better in a sci-fi futuristic setting, wherein your character dies in space. You fade to black, as you would in real life when going unconscious and you wake up at your HQ, or at some other base or planet. There, you're floating in your Bakta tank, or equivalent, 
in first person too, which would be very cool looking through the hazy, bubbly liquid to a medical professional outside. Think of the opening segment from Fallout 3 where you're being born. And then the water drains out and you drop unceremoniously onto the floor. You pay your medical bills and all as well. Are you a clone? Maybe you could be, but I don't think that's necessary. Maybe there could be a sort of medical station or two. The galaxy will be populated enough in every system that essentially performs cleanups after battles, collecting bodies and body parts, and the medical technology is efficient enough in the future to rebuild you. User Galaxis on the forum had the great idea of fifth element style body reconstruction, and maybe instead of permadeath, that could be the expensive last resort when your body can no longer be fully healed by the Bakta tanks. But if you just jump back into your body, then how do you achieve that tension like you do in DayZ? Well, I've felt that tension in another game, EVE Online. Sure, you wake up in a hospital or a med bay, but you lost your ship, all of its fittings, and all of your cargo. If you didn't have insurance, you're back at a starting ship. If you did, you still have to pay some hefty credits to get your ship back up to where it was. So the tension is still there, but your character survives. And it's believable because it's the future. And it's sci-fi. In addition, I'm not a huge fan of the idea of inheritance and playing my next of kin. Firstly, where do they come from? What if my character is a loner? What if he doesn't have any family? What if I do have kids? How are they old enough to follow in my footsteps if my original character is young himself? And even if all of that is somehow worked out, I still want to play as me. Not as my snotty little son, who didn't live through the Squadron 42 campaign and doesn't know what it's like out there, man. But those are my thoughts on permadeath. Find that happy balance between EVE Online and DayZ, where there are high penalties for death, but you don't lose your character, since the opportunity is there in a futuristic setting to preserve them believably. One final topic that I felt was relevant to talk about today stems from a thread on the official forum created by user Shadowrunner85 titled, quite eloquently, quote, Slaughter them all, but don't you dare curse or show me your naked butt. Regarding censorship. End quote. Now, quite obviously, this thread is about censorship and how it might affect Star Citizen. Like the permadeath commentary, this stems from the interview Chris Roberts did with the Coalition of Christian Gamers. In this interview, Chris was asked what ESRB rating they were shooting for, as the interviewer was concerned about mature content that may or may not be in the game. Chris responded that essentially the game would be PG-13, like a Star Wars film, and if there were any swear words, they would be fake sci-fi type of swear words and not modern day ones. Now many people, myself included, would hate to see Star Citizen censor itself for the sake of some people's sensibilities. I don't think they will, but many of us would hate to see that happen. The central idea of Shadowrunner 85's thread is a common one when discussing modern entertainment. Specifically, modern American entertainment. Why is everyone comfortable with violence and not comfortable with sexuality? It's interesting when you listen to something like that interview by the Coalition of Christian Gamers where early on in the interview, Chris Roberts is being asked about whether we'll be able to shoot and fight it out in space spaces, which is clearly referencing, especially with modern graphical fidelity, fairly realistic simulated violence. And then, only to be asked, but will there be a lower rating, because I like to play these kinds of games with my kids. So it's not okay to expose your children to sexuality, 
but it's totally okay to expose them to violence, and in some cases hyper-realistic violence. This is a tired, long-held argument that is impossible to fully address within the format of this podcast, but as tired as it is, it is tirelessly silly. In any event, the average age of people who purchase games is famously 35 years old. Video games as an art form and an experience have matured or are attempting to mature enough to become a legitimate expression along the lines of any book or film. If a book or film has mature content, that means it's meant for someone mature enough to handle it. I have my doubts that the average person who pledged for Star Citizen to be created is too immature to handle adult themes and adult content. Should it go overboard? Of course not. But should it censor itself where it might detract from the realism of the universe? I would hope not. In the Slaughter em All thread, user M. Palman expressed an opinion which I'm very fond of. Quote, Would be fun if the maturity of the content is inversely proportional to the lawfulness of the location, so that when a conservative cries in outrage of unclothed memories, the counter would be what the hell they were doing in that slaver base. End quote. So essentially you'd have fairly family-friendly content in family-friendly locations where you'd expect to find it, and not-so-family-friendly content where you wouldn't take your family, as is the case in day-to-day -day life. I believe I've mentioned on the forum how much I loved the television series Rome that aired on HBO and was prematurely cancelled a few years ago. And in that show, you have a gritty, mature, sexual, essentially HBO standard show. There's nudity, there's fornication, there's graphic violence. One could say, and I'm sure has said, that it was unnecessary to portray any of those elements to that extent, or to the extent that it did. Why couldn't Rome be family-friendly? I think it's safe to say that the majority of human history wasn't particularly family-friendly by Victorian or Puritan standards. And many, myself included, when choosing to watch something like Rome, or Deadwood similarly, are looking to see a period portrayed as authentically as possible, and the key word there is authenticity. Of course, there is an element of shock value, but the scary and unusual thing is that the shock value comes from showing you, vividly, a historical period and activities therein, how they might have actually appeared at that time. And for as much as it makes me uncomfortable, which I think is part of the point, I want to feel that discomfort because real people experienced this stuff firsthand. It consistently blows my mind. I think about this kind of thing a lot. One of my favorite podcasts, if not my all-time favorite, is Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, which you can check out at dancarlin.com. I love history. Always have. In Dan's podcasts, war naturally occurs often. And in wars, you have the sacking of cities time and again. Dan makes a regular point on how horrifying a city sacking would be. Rapes, murder, looting, carnage on a massive citywide scale, lasting for days, if not weeks at a time. Hell on earth. But why do I bring up Rome and ancient history and all of these things? Well, beyond the idea that the Star Citizen universe is essentially going to be the Roman Empire in space, Star Citizen isn't a period film, it's a sci-fi game. The creators dictate the content and create the world, and it's their discretion which determines what that world is like. Well, when you talk about authenticity in a historical period, a lot of times you're referring to how realistically the setting and clothing and speech and so on are portrayed. What does every one of those things have in common? The humanity that inhabits and portrays them. Sure, Star Citizen takes place in the future, but it is humanity that will inhabit the universe it's set in. 
humanity with all of its charm, creativity, excitement, beauty, and of course humanity with all of its faults and its flaws. Outside of my lapse of judgment with the hydrofraws, I'm not one to be crude myself or to seek it out, but that doesn't mean I don't expect it to be out there, nor do I want to put blinders on and pretend like it isn't. Some of the greatest stories throughout history and the greatest fiction are made great by the diabolical, crude figures within them. Humanity can be disgusting and crude. Should star citizens show that crudeness to the utmost extent? No, of course not. But as M. Palman said, if I stroll into a slaver base or a seedy dive bar on the crap end of the galaxy, I shouldn't expect to be able to take my kids with me. And I want those places to exist with their language and their filth. Now, the modern Battlestar Galactica pulled this all off very well. It was on a cable network, not an HBO, but there were dingy clubs with strong implications of child prostitution, and there were fake sci-fi curse words. There was sexuality, perhaps not full-on nudity, but they walked the line. Considering the similarity of the universes, although BSG had no aliens per se, if Star Citizen matched that level, I think it would be a fair compromise. At the end of the day, the point I think I'm trying to get across is my hope that Star Citizen become whatever Star Citizen intends to become. If Star Citizen only ever planned to be at the PG-13 level of a Star Wars, then that's great. Please don't insert gratuity for the sake of it. But if there is a story to tell, and in service to that story, gratuitous elements should naturally occur, please don't censor them. Everything should be in service to the universe, its story, and the art form that contains it all. But let's open up the comm channels. Who knows how long we have until some Philistine is beating down our door. If any potential callers are out there, you should know precisely where we are, unfortunately. Feel free to call in, sooner the better. We ha- Oh. You guys are quick. Well, let's patch it through. Hello out there. Ah, Senate. Nice to catch you locally rather than off the relay. Nice to be caught. Heard you were here with me in the uh, gossip. Whoa, system. whoa, let me stop you there. <laughs> I already mentioned it once, and just in case they didn't hear the first time, I'd rather not give them any extra help tracking us down. But tell me about yourself. Let's start with your name. Well, you can call me Gru. Gru, it's a good name, strong name. What are you getting up to way out here, Gru? Well, I had a hot tip about an unexplored anomaly. I'm fitted out for surveying, so I thought I'd see if I could get a hit. Oh, interesting. Fitted out for surveying. What kind of ship do you have fitted out there, if you don't mind my asking? Ah, Pantera here's a 300i. She's served me well. The 300i, a trusty steed indeed. I have one myself, insured for life by Origin Jumpworks, you might recall my mentioning. But moving along, tell me more about yourself. What do you do for a living? A little of this, a little of that. Anything that keeps me flying, if you know what I mean. Oh, I know what you mean. Okay. So you're scoping out for anomalies, anomalies as they say, and I guess that means you have some time to chat. I don't know how much time we have on our end after the hydrofrost debacle, but let's get down to it. What attracted you, Gru, to Star Citizen? Well, it seems to me that you don't get a lot of chance in the sort of online space these days to really get immersed in the story and contribute to the greater game lore. Um, I'm the kind of person, I've uh, cut my teeth on RPGs, been playing MMOs a very long time, and the idea of being able to really step into my character's shoes and you know really have my story contribute to the broader story of Star Citizen really appealed to me. 
Right. I think we can all relate to that. Well, you mentioned some MMOs and RPGs. If you could go further in depth, what is your gaming history outside of Star Citizen, leading up to Star Citizen? You know, I've played a lot of story-heavy games through my time. I got started really young playing uh, old-school adventure games, everything from Zork, Space Quest, Monkey Island. Um, did a lot of the classic RPGs in the Final Fantasy series, Morrowinds, uh, and... Well, since we're on the topic of role-playing, graduated on to a series of tabletops. Um, Vampire the Masquerade, Dungeons and Dragons, um, Dogs in the Vineyard. And uh, more recently, um, your slew of online games, EVE Online, things of that nature. Going back to the uh, Descent and Wing Commander series, obviously, as a prelude to launch. And, uh, of course, I'm a big board gamer as well. you guys are sci-fi buffs out there, you might want to check out Ad Astra or Eminent Domain. Good stuff. Well, back in line with Star Citizen, what ship did you pledge for and why did you choose it? Well, I pledged for the 300i. Um, for me, I, uh, I must say that the idea of having the best of the best permanently insured was uh, not really the most satisfying kind of idea takes out the the sense of of risk and the idea of goals in the game and furthermore because i love dogfighting uh like i said i've played my share of descent and things of the, that nature um i wanted something that would be a solid ship that could fit a variety of roles and with the reasonably decent cargo hold for a small ship and plenty of dogfighting chops i figured it could get me out into the black with uh, some exploration, some light trading, and of course hold its own in, in a fight. Well, speaking of getting out into the black, what type of activities will you be getting up to out there? What type of player will you be? I personally really was excited by the revelation that one of the main goals was to make exploration both interesting and profitable again. Um, there's so many games out there where there's not so much exploration as there is just, you know, a mass of, of identical space or silly little mini games that, that don't really do anything. The idea to have actual dynamically generated content where you can actually turn a profit, uh, discover entire new systems, that's just fascinating to me. So I'm sure that's going to get a large amount of my time. But, you know, I'm also hoping to get some mercenary work where I can, do a little trading. A little bit of everything, I expect. Well, my next question was going to be what you're looking forward to the most about Star Citizen, but it seems like the exploration is going to be just that. That's certainly up there. I mean, there's obviously a lot to the game. Um, I guess between that and, again, just the, the character side of things, where it just has sort of an unparalleled sort of opportunity for role-playing and the like seems like it should be a wonderful chance and i've already met some interesting people in the community that i'd love to get a chance to play with in game well speaking of the community a topic that has been pretty heavily discussed and debated amongst them for the last couple of weeks has been the subject of permadeath now i've been talking about it this episode but what are your thoughts on the possible implementation of a permadeath mechanic i am rather of a split mind on that at the moment. Um, On the one hand, from that sort of sense of immersion, the idea of permadeath has always been appealing to me. I mean, I've spent countless hours on things like NetHack, 
Um, at the same time, that's not going to appeal to a wide swath of the audience. And that same kind of immersion means that you could really get involved in a character only to suddenly have him be snatched away from you. So from a role-playing perspective, that's not even a little bit ideal as well. Well, nothing's set in stone yet, I don't think, but Chris Roberts also mentioned the possibility of having, when your character dies, your next of kin take over the family line and possessions. What do you think about that? Well, I applaud him for thinking outside the box there. It's certainly a different take on it. Um, it does give legitimacy to it, but again, it's sort of very unsatisfying from a role-playing perspective. You still lose all sense of continuity. Um, you have to reinvent yourself, as it were, and I don't know. It just kind of feels like an awkward compromise. I can understand that. Well, back to you. What games are you going to be playing for the next two years while you wait for Star Citizen to come out? Well, um, I've had the luck to find some pretty good guys in the uh, community leading up to the, the crowdfunding date. Um, so I've, I've got a good group. We've got about 20 people on board now that are coming in in various quantities every Thursday night. We're uh, running a multiplayer session of uh, the classic Free Space 2 uh, using the Free Space Open Engine. So we've been having some pretty good multiplayer options there. Um, but actually, I have been kind of approaching this from the standpoint of if I'd like to be playing Star Citizen for the next two years, I'm simply going to play Star Citizen for the next two years. My curiosity has peaked. How will you go about doing that? Well, um, I originally wanted to reach out for you after your last broadcast. You'd mentioned the idea of sort of taking a breather from the community with everything getting a little bit on tense on the forums and all that. And my response was, was really quite the opposite. Um, obviously I mentioned that, you know, we've got quite a little community um, getting together for um, some other piloting activities with Flight Night, but really with a game like Star Citizen, it seems that there's such an opportunity for story that I've been taking the opportunity to try to bring some of my favorite pastimes, such as uh, tabletop role-playing, to the Star Citizen universe. How are you doing that exactly? Well, I've went and created a custom system I've tentatively labeled Dogs in the Stars. It's basically a simplified story-heavy role-playing system designed to really focus on mechanics such as spaceship conflicts and uh, a focus on immersion in Star Citizen lore. Well, for those who aren't familiar with tabletop experiences as a whole, can you give a basic overview or detailing of what the tabletop experience is? Uh, certainly. Well, um, role-playing is about storytelling at its core. It's about adventure. It's about strange circumstances and different perspectives. Um, it's really just about experiencing a different world, and that's where I felt Star Citizen needed to be represented. Um, you know, there's a lot of differences between different systems, but pretty much all of them have in common that you have uh, a game master sort of setting the framework for the story and players acting out the leading roles in that story. And basically any given system is just a 
systematic approach to conflict so that you can move forward with the story rather than argue about it. Right. Well, tell me how this translates to a Star Citizen tabletop experience. The idea, first of all, is that in most games, you know, you're really focused on your character. So they're all about stats for, you know, your character's hit points, his weapons, his set of skills. And while that's certainly something that's appropriate in the Star Citizen universe, it's just as much about what you're flying and what you're fitted with. So I wanted to create something that was, for starters, a lot more able to focus on the fact that you're going to have certain limitations and benefits when you are, say, taking a Drake Cutlass up against a Constellation. And I wanted to do that by really focusing on sort of the ship as a character in and of itself. Um, a lot of people have favorite ships in various series. It'd be great to be able to create a story of your own with your own uh, ship. The other thing I wanted to do is I wanted to focus on that sort of more gritty, action-packed, in-your-face style that's associated with um, flight sims and space sims in particular, um, rather than having something as mundane as I, you know, roll some dice and ask whether or not my laser beam shot the other ship. I would rather have my characters involved in describing exactly how he's trying to weave between the enemy fighters and come in behind the Vanduul Raider to squeeze off that kill shot. I'd rather have the player actively describing how he's interacting with the world than simply asking me what happens based on some predetermined rule system. Right. Well, for those who are interested in playing, where can they get involved or find the rules or find people to play with? Well, we have an official thread up on the RSI forums. Um, it's got links to the rulebook as well as um, the character sheets, things of that nature. Um, we have uh, people in various different other forums who have been talking about the role play opportunities. I'm sure we have other people who are looking to get involved in a game. Um, I myself am obviously running uh, a campaign of this actually over the internet using uh, the wonderful tools made available by Google Hangouts to you know, actually interact with each other in real time, get a little bit of video to add to the you know, joy of radio here. And um, if you care to hop in and post, I'm sure I'd be more than happy to talk with you about setting up a game and seeing about getting this worked into sort of the greater story of the Star Citizen universe. Great. So does that basically take up the bulk of your time, or are you involved in any other groups or anything like that? One of the things that was really exciting to me about this community was the fact that there's just so many impassioned people. Even right coming up to the end of crowdfunding, there were half a dozen, a dozen groups forming up already saying, we love this game, we love this project, we want to get involved with this universe and setting up shop for an in-game squadron when the game went live. And, uh, you know, I was looking for somebody who would uh, appeal to sort of my character tropes of sort of uh, deep space exploration and the dangers living out in the black. And 
when I heard that there was a uh, group going by the name of the Browncoats, I couldn't help but notice the Firefly reference and felt that that was just sort of the greatest kind of, of role-playing fodder one could possibly hope for. And uh, Can you tell me about the lore of your Browncoats as they'd be in Star Citizen? Because obviously you're not going to be the same as the Browncoats from Firefly outside of the name, but how are you guys differentiated? Well, uh, we are still actually actively role-playing through the lore. Um, the loose backstory, as it happens, is that we largely came from the backwater under protected areas of the uh, UEE systems. And uh, a lot of us were actually involved with um, some control skirmishes for various different worlds that the UEE wasn't protecting, but they weren't really giving proper sovereignty and autonomy to. Eventually, people of like mind who have a distrust for UEE authority and an interest in free operation and uh, coming together for, shall we say, mutual protection, economic uh, opportunity, and, uh, you know, just camaraderie. And turned that into a proper squadron with a couple of our members who happen to be passionate enough to have uh, already brought in Corvettes for uh, our logistics out in the unsupplied areas. So you guys will be pretty set up and heavily decked out by the time Star Citizen rolls out two years from now. We're certainly hoping to be. I mean, I think that the, the member count just topped 100. Um, obviously, we'll see. I, we can't tell for sure who of them has actually already ponied up and purchased in, but we'll certainly have a, a sizable real community to, to start with when we go live. And from the looks of it, some pretty solid character histories as well with uh, all the activity going on in our forums. Well, I think that's one of the beauties of Star Citizen, even excluding mod tools, just within the actual Star Citizen universe. You're going to be able to live out every other sci-fi fantasy you've had over the last 30-odd years, from Star Wars to BSG, Firefly, even Star Trek to an extent. But before we wrap up, Gru, are there any final points you'd like to share with the Star Citizen community while you have their collective ear? I would say that um, as much as we do have a big wait until we actually get our hands on a finished product. There's a lot of really cool people I've already met in the community, and I would hope that we're at a point where we should be trying to focus on that community and not on some of the distractions that we've had. Um, there's been, well, absolutely tremendous amount of ideas going back and forth on the official forums, but one that so far slipped under the radar is just the simple idea of having an official sanctioned events forum where um, we can have things like the in-person meetup that took place in London a while ago and have people know about that before it's, you know, in the past, where people like uh, myself who are hosting online game nights can collaborate and plan and find more pilots so that, you know, when the game goes live, we not only have, you know, our contributions in terms of, of the design of the game, but we really have, you know, a community of people we know and we're excited to play about, play with instead of just, you know, focusing entirely on the the game itself. Because from what I've seen, there's a lot of cool people out there and I don't really want to wait to have to get to know them. Well, Gru, it's 
been enlightening. Thank you for taking time away from scanning anomalies to call in and share your thoughts and expertise. Any final thoughts before we part ways? Well, uh, you certainly seem to be a, a man with uh, quite the curiosity and a lot of questions. But after listening to your broadcasts, I must say I'd uh, had a few questions of my own about oh. such a man of mystery as yourself. Mm-hmm. I was uh, wondering what your... Uh, uh, hang on, Groot. Going to have to cut you short. Just got word that the authorities have been spotted cordoning off a nearby block. Time for us to close up shop and to get moving to our next destination. I'd like to thank Gru once again for calling in and apologize in advance to my lovely Sean producer for what is most certainly about to be a narrow, heart-stopping escape. At least narrower and more heart-stopping than usual in any case. In our next episode, ideally sans hydrofroze, we will discuss more game mechanics and hopefully be able to open the comm channels, but that will all depend on how tucked away we're going to need to be. Safety first, unless you're drinking hydrofroze, in which case, safety later. For us, that means safety now. My name is Sennett Van Ryn, and this has been another episode of Stars Oratoria. I'm coming. Wait, hang on. Almost forgot. Can't let this go to waste. See you next time.